it's over on the counter on the wall, far wall over there. So you can pick that up. That's um, dealing with a civil magistrate. So that'll be ready. It's ready for you when we get to it. Chapter 22 of the Confession. We've done the first two paragraphs. Just a little reminder or review. 22.1 tells us what an oath is. Uh, and I'm on page, well, roughly 598. Yeah. Chapter, uh, paragraph one, what an oath is. And hopefully, you know, maybe we learn that it's a little more than we thought it was um, in, in what it entails, what it involves. Paragraph two. Paragraph one, an oath basically is us calling on God to be a witness and a judge to what we say and then what we do in connection with what we say, but primarily what we say. Then paragraph two, the, the use and the misuse of oaths. And we learn that if we are not using it properly, we are in violation of the third commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, because we are calling, if we're using it with understanding and properly, we're calling upon God to be that witness and that judge. So if we really aren't trying to do that, but if at the same time we are taking an oath, we are swearing in the right, in, in the, the good sense of the word, uh, not cursing, we are swearing under oath, I solemnly swear type thing. If we are doing that without the intent of calling God into the picture, we are using God's name for something other than what we should be using it for. Right? So uh, we need to be careful. We need to give thought, as with a lot of things. Um, uh, Jack mentioned, you, you just be careful, and if you're in doubt, don't use words that you aren't sure of the significance and the full meaning of them. And for Christians especially, that's true. Uh, so we need to be careful there. The misuse, and we talked about Matthew 5, James 5, where it would seem, the clear language would seem to say, you don't take an oath. But we've dismissed that because we saw Christ himself took an oath. Paul took an oath. So uh, it, it can't mean that. Otherwise, Christ can't be an effective redeemer uh, if he took an oath and he shouldn't have. But what we find out is, first and foremost, Christians are to be known as being truthful. Just like we know of God. We know that God is true. Whatever God says, you don't doubt. I don't doubt, do we? we? No, God's truth. God can't lie. It's contrary to his nature. So we then, in being Christ-like, ought to be persons known as people when we say something, it's true. Okay? To the best of our knowledge, you know, we are obviously finite. 
And sometimes we think we know what's true, and maybe it's not as true as we thought, but at least it is our intent to convey truth. Uh, but even there, and we'll talk about that some, we need to be very careful what we do in that realm. But Matthew 5, James 5, dealing with misuse of oaths, almost to the point that for anybody to believe you, these passages, the, the, the Pharisees, if, if you want somebody to really believe you, you had to swear to it. And you had to swear by whatever they said you had to swear by. And, and the, the passages mention a couple of things, earth, heaven, the temple, whatever it may be. But none of those things are legitimate sources to swear by because only God, as we pointed out, why is it that we, that, that it's only God's name that we use in swearing and, and we call him to witness because God what? Is the only, is the only one that knows what? Yeah, everything, the truth particularly, all right? It's only God. You, nothing else, no one else can know for certain what is the truth. So we call God to be the witness. And that's why, as we'll see in what we'll deal with today, it's very serious to do this because we also call God to be the judge if we aren't telling the truth to judge us. To deal with us. And we'll see. Uh, just I'll go ahead and mention it. Uh, the verse. Uh, that. Who can ascend. Into the hill of the Lord. And clean hands. Is, is part of it. But the last part of the verse is. He who has not sworn. Deceitfully. So if we are misusing oaths. It impacts our ability to have fellowship and communion with God. Because that's what that would deal with. All right. And in those passages, God just says, look, be truthful. You don't have to swear to be truthful. You don't have to, and you shouldn't have to as a general rule. You simply let your yea be yea and your nay nay. You speak the truth without having to embellish what you're saying by, well, I, I swear what I'm telling is true. That generally would be a wrong use. That, that would be taking the Lord's name in vain. Because most of the time when we do that, we're simply trying to get the person to, to, uh, to believe us when maybe they wouldn't. Well, why don't they? Is the question. Why do you need to embellish it to make somebody believe you? Now, if they don't know you, it's one thing. But a lot of times we use that with people that do know us. So is, is, is the, are you implying that if you didn't add that to it, maybe you aren't telling the truth? Do you embellish the truth? Do you... Take away from the truth, generally. So now I, I want to I want to make sure they know. Hey, I'm not trying to overstate, understate, whatever. See, it, 
And again, and it came up last week, I think, some. Well, what if, what if we really aren't meaning to call God's, God into the picture there? We're just using those words. Well, my question, well, why are you using those words? Why do you need to use those words? And with knowledge now, oh, so when I use those words, I'm calling God into the picture. <clears throat> yes. Oh, well, maybe I better be careful how I use those words. Yes. That's the point. Okay? So it's just, again, practical, getting to know things. Sometimes we don't know, we don't think about. And obviously, it can have ramifications. Because God holds us accountable. What's the, the little phrase we use a lot of times? We, we talk about somebody, we, somebody speeding. I didn't know the speed limit was 35 and I was doing 50. And the little phrase we use a lot of times there is what? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. It's not bliss when you're standing in front of the judge and he says you got to pay the ticket. <laughs> so, but ignorance of the law is no excuse. For the Christian, ignorance of what the Bible says and requires of us is no excuse because we have it. So, you want to be careful. And you want to, if you're not, you go look. Find out what God says about it before, not after, preferably. And, and then you can't be upset with God if he judges you because, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. You should have known. I told you. You know, kind of sometimes with children. But, but I didn't know. Well, I told you. I've told you several times. I mean, it's written right there on the board in your room where you can read it. Well, I, I, I didn't know it was there. I'd never noticed that. So, well, sorry, but, you know, you pay the consequences. All right. Number three, paragraph three, page 598. This one deals with the seriousness of taking an oath. Let's read it together. Whosoever taketh an oath ought duly to consider the weightiness of so solemn an act, and therein to avouch nothing but what he is fully persuaded is the truth. Neither may any man bind himself by oath to anything but what is good and just, and what he believeth so to be and what he is able and resolved to perform. Because remember, an oath deals with both what you are avowing to be the truth or what you are promising to do. We, we've got both situations there, and that's covered here. What he is able and resolved to perform. Yet it is a sin to refuse an oath touching anything that is good and just, being imposed by lawful authority. So, we shouldn't be coming and saying, no, 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 I judge, I'm sorry, but I don't take oaths. No, that would be wrong for a Christian. Because the judge is a lawful authority, 
And in that particular case, there is a weightiness as a rule to the matter. So it is a proper use of it. Mom? Well, at the end of the day, nothing, because the whole point is what? I mean, why, why do you do that? When, when, I mean, in, in any situation, be it military, be it office, be it public office, be it church, whatever, if you are swearing or affirming, because, again, I think where it came from, is in part the devil <laughs> because I think what it is is people don't want God in the picture. And I swear brings God into the picture. And that was understood and known for a lot of years. Today, probably not. But affirming would be, yes, that's just my yay be yay and my nay nay. I would say that that's the intent. But the point is, there is a solemnity intended to make you, I mean, did you at the time, did you think about the difference between the two? No. Yeah, yeah. Just get it done. What are your thoughts? Any particular? Well, that would be one of the things people who won't swear on the Bible or won't so help be God in the courtroom that I don't believe in God. So, I, no, I won't call God in because I don't believe in God. God's being called in whether they believe in him or not. Right? So, Jordan? Yeah, using the Matthew and the James passages, yeah, you don't you don't swear, you, you just let your yay be yay and your nay nay. That could be. But that again would actually be a misunderstanding of the ramifications of those passages and the teaching really of those passages. Um, but that could be but again, is that why why is that? Well, because we just look at that passage and we, we read it. And, and let me just go down a rabbit trail for a minute. Uh, and and I, I'm talking to myself now as much as anybody. We, we must be careful when we're reading Scripture to make sure that we know what Scripture in its entirety teaches on a matter and other passages, how other passages may impact the passage or the verse we're reading. Because you can take something and run with it. You know, oh, what it says. Boom. Case in point, what we're talking about. It says, don't swear. Just let your yay be yay and your nay nay. Well, okay, that, that's simple enough. But in fact, is that what Scripture is teaching? And then, as we see, well, as we pointed out Christ before Caiaphas, in essence, if put it in modern day language, do you swear that you are the Christ? 
And Christ says, you've said, as you've said in essence. It's not exactly the words, but that's the effect. So Christ says under oath, as it were, yes, I am. And of course, then they use that as oh, blasphemy and, and uh, let's, let's crucify him. So, uh, and, and Paul did the same. So you, you, then, then you've got a conflict. Then you've got to work through it and find out, okay, what's going on. But so much for that rabbit trail. All right. So my questions that I've got here, and I don't, Bob, I'd be curious. I mean, I don't know if somebody's got the dictionary on their phone or something. They want to look up a firm versus swear. And, and this comes up later on. So let me, I think I mentioned this. But if you look up swear, one of the definitions is to make a solemn declaration invoking, now this is just American Standard Dictionary or whatever, to make a solemn declaration invoking a deity or a sacred person or thing. Now, for you and I, that would not be true because anything other than God that you are invoking, the deity part, if, if that's God, if that's not your deity, some idol or something, because anything other than God is also engaging in, as we talked about, idolatry. So now you, you've got uh, a violation of the second commandment because we've put somebody or something in God's place when we're taking the oath. You know, if I swear by the church, well, now I've substituted the church for God. And that's a violation of the second commandment. So we obviously need to be careful. But affirm, I would assume, is simply a strong, would, would be something like a strong statement, a stronger, a little bit stronger statement, uh, another way of trying to beef up your yay or nay. Yes, sir. So affirming maybe say, I understand what you just said in, in the requirements of yeah, it. I yes, I understand that. Me, and, I, and, I and I understand to, to take orders, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, the, the affirm, do you affirm, do you, yeah, do you understand do you understand what you've said, what you've read? You know. He doesn't swear to be bound by that. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good question. Good. Any, any other thoughts? Anybody? All right. My questions. Number one. Why is taking an oath so serious? Now, we've talked about a variety of things, so I'm not going to rehash a lot of these. First and foremost is because we are bringing God into the picture. We are taking God's name in vain if we are doing it wrong. We are sinning, right? That's one reason. Um, and then we are calling God to judge if we aren't telling the truth. So now we've got to be very careful and make sure you can't be haphazard because you've said now God if 
if it's not exactly the truth, if I don't do what I said, I want you to judge me and uh, punish me whatever it may, whatever form that may take. One of the, one of the things I was thinking about this, and to me one of the perhaps most difficult parts of this, is when you take an oath, again, you're asking God to look at it to see how truthful what you're saying or what you're promising, how truthful it is. And especially as to what we say, that you are now adding a burden to yourself to know the truth absolutely. Right? Because you're saying, in essence, if I'm not telling the truth, I want God to judge me. So what's I better know what I'm saying is the truth, right? If I don't want to be judged, it better be right. Well now, just just stop and think. And again, good exercise, at least for me, I was thinking about it. So and and what's the other commandment that we we identify with truthfulness? The ninth. The ninth. You don't bear false witness. Okay? Now, here's the thing. When you're saying something about somebody, or when you are saying something to somebody about something, some event, whatever it is, okay, we must know the truth. You may know what they, somebody told you was the truth. Do you know it's the truth? Have you looked into it sufficiently to find out everything about what happened or what's being said. Most importantly, if it's about somebody, have you gone to them in love and said, I just need to know. Can you tell me? But our nature is to get some parts of the story, form our conclusions about what is true. And we wind up breaking the ninth commandment by bearing false witness. We take an oath. We better be prepared to say, I don't know what the truth is. Saying I don't know what the truth is is as much telling the truth, all right, as knowing the truth and saying it. Because if you don't know, you need to be truthful enough instead of saying, oh, I got, an a- I got to have an answer. I've got to say something. And so then we think, we, we say what we think might be the truth. And of course, the people that are hearing you don't know what's going on in your head about what you just said. All they know is you swore that what you were going to say was the truth. So again, it adds a burden to you to make sure that in fact what you say is the truth. Okay? So that burden of knowing what is truthful, and again, that's why we call God into this taking of the oath because only God knows absolutely. But again, he expects us 
There's nothing wrong with us saying this is true. There's something you got firsthand knowledge. You can say, Charlie. In a legal setting, what is hearsay? What is hearsay? That's you say generally. That's you saying what somebody else said. It's not admissible as testimony. As a rule, if if, if the attorney's on his toes and objects to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, hearsay is you said, well, he told me. And the problem, the reason that's a problem is we want to be able to ask him why he said what he said. How do you know? Well, he told me. That's all I can say. But then if I've got the person who told you whatever, how do you know? Well, I just kind of thought that was the case. Oh, so you don't know either. But that's the reason that comes up. Yeah, good. All right? Another reason is, is again, what we've talked about, asking God to judge in the matter. And then in keeping with the ninth commandment, the potential to hurt other people. You know, especially if you've taken an oath. Right? And I understand, if, if I understand... What it is, but even if I don't understand it in the, to, to the degree we're talking, and now you understand it now, but I just say, well, they're 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 beefing up. They're they're trying to assure us that yes, what I'm saying is true. So if I accept that as the truth, and it's not, but now it impacts what I think of somebody. How I act towards somebody. Right? All because maybe if you hadn't taken the oath, maybe you hadn't sworn that, yeah, it's true, maybe I think, uh, I better I better check in this a little bit more. Well, you ought to check into it anyway. But um, we we can do a lot of harm. And then that verse, if you look at page 602 at the top, Psalm 24, 4, and, and, and that's the psalm that who can come into God's presence, basically, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. That's, that's pretty high standards. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And it's interesting, too, isn't it, of, of the things that are put in this verse that impact our ability to come to God, that swearing deceitfully is one of them? Yeah, you could list a lot of things there, couldn't you? But God points out to us in his word, swearing deceitfully, because you're impacting relationships. And the implication there is, if you're doing it, don't be coming into my hill to ask something of me because you're under my judgment. Right? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be correct? If we're under, we've asked God to judge us if we aren't telling the truth. So if we haven't, if we've sworn deceitfully, if we've intended to mislead or even carelessly misled, God says, don't be coming to me and asking me to have... Communion or fellowship with you. Uh-uh. You're under my judgment. You're under my judgment. What does that do to your prayer life? 
Hmm? Serious stuff. Tim? Yes, sir. Looking at that verse, I don't believe there's been a human being that's ever lived that could meet any one of those qualifications. Nobody has clean hands or a pure heart. Everybody has sworn deceitfully. I've lifted my soul up into vanity. So, so how do you how do you come into God's presence? It's only by Christ. Exactly. You're, you come into God's presence robed in the righteousness of Christ. He is the only access and only through him. I am the way, the truth, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me, but through me. Okay? Wonderful. Good. Yeah, if we read those verses like that can, can be discouraging if you don't know the truth of the gospel, can it? Good. Anything else? All right, next question. Why can a man not make an oath to do wrong? What do you think? So again, what's, what's an oath doing? It's calling God to witness, isn't it? So if you're taking an oath, yes, I promise, I mean, you know, Criminal realm, you know, do you swear that you'll take care of this person, you'll, you'll kill them or whatever? Yes, I do. So what are you doing? Now, again, that person wouldn't understand it this way, I guarantee you, but whether he understands it or not, calling God to witness to do a, something that's evil, well, God can't look upon sin. And God is not going to condone it. But God would judge. But he's going to judge because of the sin. The oath would just be another aspect of it as well. But calling upon God, again, if, if we understand what an oath is and what it's doing, and, and that's why you, you look at these. I mean, again, I, I must confess, thinking about oaths and vows yeah, general kind of idea, but to this degree, no. I've never, I've never stopped and really looked at it and said, well, what's happening when I take an oath? As a Christian, it's, again, a little reminder to us, isn't it? We do a lot of things because it seems to be accepted, seems to be okay. But as Christians, we need to be saying, is it right in God's sight? Can I do it and not violate scripture? With anything we do, but oaths and vows, it's easy to say words in it. Real easy. And yet, how serious the matter. Number three, name two things of which a person must be certain, either as to one or the other or both, before taking an oath. And and you're, if you look at your your paragraph there, 22.3. He's got to be certain of what? There at the end of the second line, the beginning of the third line. He's got to be sure of what? That's the first one. The truth. The truthfulness of the matter. What he is going to assert. What he's going to say. All right? The other thing, and, and again, keeping in mind, Two aspects of an oath, what the truth is and what you're promising, right? And the second thing 
is the next to the last line. What he is, well, end of the third to the last and then the second to the last. What he is able and resolved to perform. If you can't do it, you better not promise to do it. Right? Don't promise to do it unless, humanly speaking, you, you know you can do it. I'm going to pick up this Bible. Well, if the Lord, you know, if I was smitten with a stroke to where I couldn't pick it up, or I got an illness where I couldn't pick it up, then I promise to do something. I'll pick up the Bible for you. I'll hand it. That's okay. You, you can, I think, make assumptions here in, in light of where you are. But if, you know, if you promise to pay somebody $10,000, and you know you can't pay them $10,000 to save your neck, humanly speaking, well, I'll trust God to provide it for me. Uh-uh, that would be wrong. I mean, God's got to provide it. We know God provides everything. But if where you stand today, you don't have it, don't promise to pay it. If you have a job and you have enough extra, as it were, that you can make the monthly payments, I think it is okay to promise to pay back the loan. But if you're going to borrow 10000 bucks and spend it, and you are already spending everything you bring in each month, you're in trouble. You have no reason to believe you can repay that loan. Where are you going to get the money? Okay. Able to perform. So that means you've got to sit down and look at all the, everything around it. Be wise and be honest. But don't promise if you can't perform. And then the jurisdictions, question four. In what two jurisdictions are oaths most likely to be used today? And uh, very broad, very broad. Uh, two general, one's the civil side, all right? And, and the civil side would embrace business, right? You, you use it in business quite often. Loans, you know, especially. It may be even employment agreements. A lot of times those are signed before a notary. You do it with wills, signed before a notary. Okay? So just a lot of things that just come into play. In court, in, in the judicial realm, it's used quite a bit. So on the civil side, you've got that. And then on the ecclesiastical side, on the church, you have it with particularly your ministers and your elders, your teaching and ruling elders. You have them when they're installed, when they're ordained. Basically, yes, I will, I will seek to be guided by God's word. You become a member. You become a member of this church. It's one of the things, yes, I'm, I'm acquainted with the book of church order, the things that govern us and, and that are substandards. 
But again, the primary standard is the word of God. Yes, as a Christian, I will abide by the word of God. And then I will abide by the substandards. And I will abide by the church government. And I will submit to the leadership of the church. You as a citizen of the U.S., you've never done it. I I don't know. I've never been to one of the uh, naturalization. I don't know if anybody has or not. uh, But when uh, someone's brought in and made a citizen of the U.S., if they have to swear to abide by the laws of this country. Larry? I pledge allegiance. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Good, yeah. We've all said that. All right? And, and again, a lawful authority that can impose the requirement of an oath. And again, we do some of these things and we don't think a lot about it. Jordan? It would be a, uh, I would take it as an oath. I mean, in that case, the Pledge of Allegiance that, that, that we do, I would take it as an oath. And we, we'll, yeah, we'll get to the vow part here uh, probably next week with where we are. But the ecclesiastical, um, aspect of it and what we do one with the other and, and you've got your proof text there and again I would uh, I would encourage you again the, the first proof text there number one the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain and using the Lord's name in vain what we talked about you know you've got the situation with Abraham getting a wife for Isaac and you know requiring an oath in the home he required his servant to take an oath. I want you to go find a wife for my son, and here's what you got to do. Do you swear to do that? And only that. And, and you get some of the proof text there where it goes on and the servant, well, what if she won't come? Then do I, do I get somebody else? Or do I take him there? Abraham said, no. No. If she won't come... And you can't fulfill that you're free of the oath you're taking. And, and whatever you do, don't you dare take my son there. Even if she promises, yeah, if he'll come here, I'll marry him. No. You don't take my son back into the land of idolatry that I came from. Abraham understood what exposing his son to the life of and the culture and the religion of where he came from. But he didn't want a wife of any other people. Okay? Larry? Loyalty, oaths, and government are in government. To, to government, yeah, yeah. And well, and again, there is in, in one sense there is a place, and, and we'll we'll deal with that some, where there is an obedience. We are to be, all right, in subjection in these various and that's part of and we'll we'll get to this, I'll head up, but when you accept Christ as your savior, 
Basically, you take an oath, if I can put it that way, you take an oath to live a pure and holy life. Right? And if you don't, then you've broken your oath there. And part of that is to abide by my word. In abiding by his word, you are to be in subjection. You're to pray for. And if we aren't, we violated our commitment, our oath to the Lord in, in connection with our salvation. If you will save me, right? If you save me, I want you to save me. I ask for you to save me, and I will do what you tell me to do, what your word commands. We do it out of love, hopefully, and we do it out of obligation. And there's nothing wrong with doing it out of obligation, as today's culture would try to make it be so wrong. All right, we'll take paragraph four. Next week, and then when we get to paragraph five, we, we pick up with vows and the difference between an oath and a vow. There, there's similarities. A vow, if I can put it this way, a vow is a particular oath, right? But we'll see that. Don't forget to pick up your, uh, your chapter, the next chapter. Uh, it's in one of the little boxes there beside where the notebooks are uh, in, in the room in there. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll close. Father, again, we thank you and praise you for giving to us your word. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for not knowing all about what you've told us in your word that we should. We're thankful that you teach us, that you help us, that you've given us the third person of the Godhead to be a tutor to help us understand, and then to have help us with the power to make use of thy word as you would have us to do. Bless us in our fellowship between now and in the beginning of our worship service. Lord, again, we ask for the help of the Spirit in our worship this day, that we might worship thee in spirit and in truth. Bless especially the word of God to our hearts, to our understanding, we ask. And we'll thank you for it, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.